We had no money down properties, stated income, no money down loans. And the fundamentals that you guys have been taught how to buy properties with cash flow being the number one rule and it's an unbreakable rule will keep you from having those problems. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high octane boost of full on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hey, everybody. Sorry that we're late. We are going to do a simultaneous Facebook Live and um, podcast. So if you're on the podcast, welcome to the Get Real Podcast and everybody joining us on Facebook. Welcome. Anyway, they changed all of my settings. And so it took me uh, a little while to get on here and Heather's going to be on in just a second. So there she is. Sorry. Wow. That was... Anyway, we thought we had that all handled. So I apologize. <laughs> so I already welcome to everybody and our awesome podcast guests and everyone else, Heather. So let's get started. You're muted for whatever reason. I want to pull it up so I have it so I can get... And it always starts talking. Okay, <laughs> so cool. Yes. What's up? We've got some people joining us here. So anyway, sorry we're late. Hopefully, if you were on here waiting for us, which I know there were several people who were because we were getting texts like, where are you guys? Anyway, so apologize. Hey, Jared. What's up? Um, Jared. So. <laughs> Heather, let's start this off. And by the way, we just got done recording uh, another podcast. Oh my gosh, it was this. so good. It was and so good. It is going to be, when it drops, you guys need to make sure that you listen to it. It's about IRAs, but so much more than that. Oh my gosh, it was fantastic. Anyway. Yeah, it should drop Monday. So you guys, it will dovetail great into what we wanted to talk about live in here today. We like to do it live because we want to know what questions you have. We want to be able to answer your questions. So please chime in in the comments. But we we wanted to talk a little bit about what I've been seeing online in like social media a lot. And then what I've also been hearing from clients and what we're kind of seeing with the market shifting a little bit with rates increasing. And what does that mean? And I think a lot of clients don't know what to do with that information. So understanding that rates are going to go up this year is I think a mindset thing more than anything else being prepared for that. So making sure that you have your expectations, because what I anticipate a lot of novice investors will just stop and wait for the market to shift and prices to drop because they're told, oh, well, the market's got to come down. And so they just sit and wait. And I definitely and still buying as fast as I can get my money <laughs> and have my reserves, right? Yeah, I mean, it's so the question isn't really do I stay in the stock market because it's high too? Do I buy real estate? Yeah. Should I just chuck it all in gold? None of those things are really, I don't think that's really the appropriate question. The appropriate question is like, what are we trying to accomplish when we're taking all of these very emotional things and making decisions with them? What is it that we're trying to accomplish? Are we still trying to get the highest return that we can get? Are we still investing long-term or have we completely, have we just lost it because somebody on Facebook said something or somebody on the news, God forbid you're listening to that, said something, right? Anyway, because I've seen them too, Heather, and there's more than three or four different posts that are going around. One of them is that 20% of the homes are being bought by 
hedge funds, right? There's other ones out there. The market's at the top of knowing what's going to crash again, right? There's all of these things out there. And then cash flow is not as good as it was in 2014 either. So what do you do? Yeah, I think one thing that I've we've been thinking a lot about is watching and hedging against inflation, right? We talked about that, making sure that you're ready for the wave that's coming. And if interest rates are going up, you just have to realign your expectations on cash flow and what cash flow is going to look like. Because here's the thing, rents are going nowhere but up. And they're going up so fast because they're 12-month leases, right? So you can get a property today and expect that it's going to be going up. The rents are going to be going up, which means more cash flow. But in the here and now, it may not happen that fast, right? So resetting expectations with that, resetting expectations of what your return on investment minimums should be. We've had a lot of our rehab properties coming in with lower ROI. And I talked to our sellers about it and they say, Heather, I can't buy houses for the same price as I could before. Nope. So a lot of people assume that when our prices on rehab properties are going up, that that just means our sellers are trying to take advantage of the market. And of course, to some degree, they want to sell for the max dollar that they can. However, they are telling me that their bottom line is about the same. Their profit numbers are about the same, even though prices are up. Costs of materials are up and prices that they can buy from wholesalers are up so that they can't if we have lower prices on rehab properties, they don't make any money, which means we won't have rehab properties. Yeah. So. The same thing's going on with new construction, right? So new construction yep. is getting more and more expensive. Every single piece of the construction is getting yep. expensive. And I don't think that's going to come down anytime soon. Inflation is here, folks. It is, it's double digits. I don't care what they're telling you on the TV. It's double digits at least 10, probably more than that. And it's going to be here for a little while. So buying assets that produce cash that are hard assets that don't melt away just because some CEO did something wrong or, you know, government even whatever, whatever happens, right? (laughs) Having something that's actually physically present that actually is producing cash is important. And real estate, even if the market goes down like it did before, this won't be the first time if it does go down. I don't think it's going down this year anyway. But even if it does go down, this isn't the first time. And last time when it got cut down by about 40% in a lot of markets, the people who owned rental properties, they just continued to make money. Yeah. Because they were still paying down their mortgage. They were still getting the tax incentives and they were still cash flowing. And the rents just kept going up. Yes. That's, I mean, in 2008, that's something that people don't often think about is that rents increased. And so people needed, there was more demand for rentals, not less. And so rents are going up while prices are down, but you just wait for a hot minute, right? And you have 20% equity in house right now. That's all you can buy on an investment loan is 20% down. So if you have a 20% down property and you have prices dip 20%, you still are okay. If they dip 40%, you got to wait for a minute for them to come back up. So it's the fear that I see kind of ruling decisions, right? Instead of 
just looking at the numbers, right? Just still yeah. looking at the numbers. And, and looking at all the numbers, I think we get myopic a little bit in our approach to looking True. at numbers. If you actually take a look at a portfolio long-term, cash flow is really, really important. It's the number one rule. The reason that we teach this number one rule is so that you don't get in trouble if the market, well, regardless of whether the market goes up or down. So you don't get in trouble with your reserves, right? So if your property is cash flowing, it should be able to cover itself, right? And then you should still make some money after the fact. But then after those, you have three other very powerful returns that are all stacking on top of each other. And I think that people, when they're looking at pro formas, tend to get very, very myopic. Okay. And what do I mean by that? Let's say over the past year, we've seen our new construction numbers drop from probably a 14% cash on cash return to somewhere between nine and 11% cash on cash return. Mm -hmm. And people freak out about that, right? So you got to understand that those numbers are still dramatically higher than most people are selling out there. Right. So those are equivalent of somewhere between a six and a half and a seven percent cap rate. Mm -hmm. Most people, including the hedge funds who are heavily buying, are buying between five and six percent cap rate. They're buying a full point underneath. Right. And in some cases, two points underneath that. And that's because they're looking at the long term and they're looking at all of the returns as well. And it makes sense over time. Right. Now, we go out and fight to get you guys better deals than that. Cash flow is better than that. But you have to look at the whole thing. Yeah. You have to look at the entirety of the returns because the other returns are equally as real. Right? Yeah, good point. I think one thing that I learned a lot from this podcast we just recorded that you guys will see Monday is that with these interest rate increases, historically, what's happened with those is stock market corrections and stock market will drop according to his, the historical pattern, right? So preparing for that. What are you going to do to help offset some of that risk? And um, that's why we talked to John Galane, who's with Mountain West IRA, to talk about utilizing your IRA, maybe looking at your statement for a minute and making sure how it's actually performing versus what the news is saying it should be doing um, and making sure that you're ready for if, if the stock market has a correction or a drop. So definitely another thing to watch out for. Um, so Jared is saying after the jobs data today, I'm sure the Fed will be even more aggressive. And also with increasing home values, are you expecting increase insurance, sorry, to dramatically increase? Um, not, not really. No, um, not ours anyway. And, um, you know, if you go back, if you, if you, if you're not on our podcast, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you should. Um, and if you just go to your podcast app and, and type in Ron Phillips, it'll come up. It's called the Get Real Podcast. And we did um, probably several months ago now, right, Heather? We had yeah. on our, our insurance. Um, Patrick Hodges. Owner yeah. of the insurance uh, company. Our master insurance policy, ours, our group, all of us who um, collectively make up our portion of that master insurance policy, we have the lowest loss runs of all of his uh, of all the insurance that they have. Yeah, I think he said that after we finished recording because I he I think he didn't know whether to say that on the air or not, but that it was, um, he said that everybody else had rate increases, but we did not. Yeah, I think ours went down very slightly. Ours went down. So no, I don't think that's going to happen. Now, 
Yeah. Um, obviously, um, with the cost of construction going up, you know, you we're already getting replacement cost policies. So, I mean, I don't think that that's really going to go up tons insurance. If you raise it just a little bit, it's such a minute amount that your, that your monthly goes up that I don't think it'll really have a dramatic difference. So now. And you can, uh, you can, Jared, you can choose to increase the, the replacement cost, you know, over $80 a square foot if you want to, just because construction costs are up. I'm keeping mine at 80 bucks a square foot personally. So so up to you, but yeah, that's definitely something that could affect it. Yeah. And if anybody else has questions, feel free to um, put them in there. I mean, uh, Jared is uh, very familiar with how this works. So he's, he's all over, <laughs> he's all over yes. it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm pretty bullish on, on real estate, not necessarily that real estate is going to continue to appreciate the way that it has been. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we'll see appreciation this year but I think it'll slow. And, um, you know, I thought it was going to slow before they said that the rate increases were going to happen and rate increases are going to slow it a little bit more. I think we have to be forward looking too, as we're looking at our cash on cash returns, right? That the rents are going to continue to climb and, you know, yeah, I think that things are going to slow down. I just don't, I don't see it falling apart because, you know, People have been bidding up prices. If you actually think about this reverse psychology just a little bit, right? Let's say prices flatline. Well, people people have been bidding in a lot of the markets above retail price. Yeah. So here in, in Charleston, for instance, people will bid fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars above so that they can get the house because there aren't enough houses. Yes. Right? And that's happening in a lot of different markets. So in a payment, right? When you compare it to the interest rate, you know, it's basically people are already paying, people are already comfortable paying a quarter to a half to three quarters of a point in some markets above where they are right now. They're just paying it Mm -hmm. in the price instead of paying it in the rate. So if the rates go up, prices may flatline, but I don't think they're going to collapse because we still have a supply demand problem, Mm -hmm. right? Now, what does that mean? That also means that if if things slow down a little bit, there's going to be less rental properties. We already have inflation going crazy and rents typically track with inflation. So rents are going to continue to climb. And so the properties that I'm buying now that Heather are buying is buying now. Those properties are going to continue to creep up with the cash on cash returns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for the next, at least the next couple of years, they're also going to continue to appreciate. Um, and then of course you've always got people paying your, your interest rate, your, your principal down, and you've also got your tax benefits. So I don't, I don't really think there's going to be a whole lot that's going to happen. We, we will lose probably another two to three points you know, from the, from the peak that we had on new construction on cash on cash return. But I, I think that that's going to be made up, um, in, in other places, right. In uh, in rent increases over the next, and I've, I've just watched this happen because we sold a, um, you know, we sold some properties uh, a year ago. Um, Heather, what was the, what was it that happened with the rents? I want to say they went up like $150. Oh, like, you're talking about the 
Yes, it's almost $200. Well, so we've waited to have them built. And they said, well, we're going to have to raise prices. Our costs are up, which everyone gets, right? That's nothing new. And I, and I, he said, but rents are up. And so we ran the numbers and it actually performs almost exactly what it was before because rents went up with the price going up. So same difference. Oh, and, and rates went up. So they actually went up. It was going to be better performance, but then rates went up. So it was about the same. Yeah. <laughs> Worth uh, waiting. <laughs> great, great question. Um, how is inflation? Um, I mean, it, it is going to impact people. There's no question about it, right? It's going to impact um you know, the, it's no, I'm not going to go on a government rant. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Stick it to is, the question, Ron. This, this is a basically a tax and it is a regressive tax. So it is going to hurt the lower income people the most. Lower income and middle class people are going to get hit the, the most because all of the things that they spend money on are going to be more expensive. Um, now, that said, I can tell you as an employer, and I can tell you because I've talked to a lot of other employers, our costs are also going up, right? So the cost of, of, of all of our human capital is going up. And so everything is going up. So I do think that it is going to hit the lower and lower middle class harder. Um, so C-class properties, it's going to hit them probably a little bit harder. There's going to be a little bit more churn. Um, but if you're if you're screening your 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 tenants properly and they have um you know if it's two or if it's three times you know what i don't i don't know exactly what they're doing right now but i think i think on all of our properties we do three times um what the rent is that's what we have to make if you're screening them properly based on their income we should be okay right um the good news is that because there's a shortage of houses, you have more people that you can screen. And, you know, that means you get to be kind of choosy about who you put in your properties, which is kind of nice. Um, it's yeah, unfortunate people, that it's going to hurt some people. It's some people are just going to, they're going to get hurt. There's, there's no way around it. Um, I don't think it's going to necessarily hurt us because there's going to be an abundance of people for us to, screen and we can choose the ones who can, you know, afford the properties. I have a tenant not paying rent still in one of my houses, the same tenant that I've talked about. And I, they basically will just need to go to a more affordable place. Right now they're paying probably toward the high end of rent in that market. And they've had some job loss and some tumultuous times like a lot of people have in the country. And so essentially, they're, I'm going to have to evict that tenant and tell them, you need to go live somewhere that's more affordable for you and in part of town that's more affordable for you and owning on the higher end of rent in the area. Yep. So, so I mean, just historically, guys, if you go back to every time that the market corrects, number one, um, I believe that the stock market is, um, I mean, it's had a really good run. So has the real estate market. The difference is... Um, there's, I don't think there's such a supply demand shortage. Yes, I don't. And it's a hard, and it's I don't a hard think an inflated thing going on in the in the in the stock market. I'm not a fan of the stock market, so I'm not uh, not even going to pretend that I am. Um, but man, it's been on a tear for a long, long time, and it's yeah. going to it's going to correct when they start raising rates. So, and they're going to raise rates. So all of that is going to happen. 
Yep. And and one thing that maybe we didn't say, because this was something that was helpful for me in understanding, is they have to raise interest rates because inflation is so high. So they have to get it under control. And really, they should be increasing it more than what they're saying they're going to increase it in order to get it under control. So and I'd like to just state for the record that when I started doing this right in, in 2005, 2000, 2005, when I started selling properties to, to people, I started in real estate in 2000. Um, but the interest rates were like six and a half to seven percent when I started. And, um, you know, the rates of return were, I don't know, seven and a half cash on cash, seven and a half to eight percent cash on cash return. And the people who bought those properties, um, matter of fact, we were just talking to the podcast is going to be great. You guys are going to love it. But my buddy, John Galane, bought a house from from me yeah. in 2007, like right before the crash, like the exact worst time you could possibly buy a property. If you were going to choose to buy a property, that would have been the exact <laughs> wrong time to buy a property. And he paid retail for it. And the cash on cash return, I, it was sub 10. I don't know where, but somewhere in there. And he just said on the podcast that his he's held that property. He just sold it. What did he say last year or something like that? I, I can't so. remember exactly. Yeah. Um, whenever he sold it, he said that he made about a 30% on it yeah. annualized return, which is almost unbelievable because he rode the market down all the way back up. And the whole time someone was paying off his property, he got tax benefits. And in addition to that, um, he cash flowed flow. and his, and his rents went up the entire time. Right. So his cash on cash return continued to go up and then he sold for a really decent profit. And here we have in our lifetimes, the worst possible collapse of the real estate market. And that's what happened. Yeah. That's what happened. So yeah. all you really need are, is a couple of things. You, you need some, you need reserves so that if something happens, you don't have to dip into your, your money to be able to fix it. Right. The property should be able to take care of itself and you need to have reserves for every single property that you buy. You mm -hmm. need to have reserves, okay? If you have reserves and you're not over leveraged. That's what I was going to say. Don't be over leveraged. And you've bought the property right to begin with, which means it cash flows. And it shouldn't be a dog property that's going to totally blow up with repairs, right? But you have your reserves just in case, right? So that was one thing that I wanted to reiterate about our the insurance question, Jared said, is he said, your properties are across the country, so they're diversified. And the reason why our rates haven't gone up, sorry, is that we're diversified in location and that we just really haven't had a lot of claims because we sell newer or fully renovated as much as possible properties. So there's just not as many incidences of insurance claims. So that that is a testament to overall the type of properties that our clients own, right? So so that's hedging against the issue of insurance rates going up. So same thing for preparing for any kind of tumultuousness in the market. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what do we consider over leverage? You know, I think right now we, we have rules in place um, forced upon us by the uh, by the powers that be that, that keep us from being over leveraged. So the 20 percent and 25 percent down from for duplex and fourplex properties, um, that's perfect. 
You know, back in the day, back in the day, there were, you know, no money down properties, right? We had no money down properties, stated income, no money down loans. And, you know, as much as we tried to talk people out of it, they were having negative cash flow. People were buying crazy, just psychotic stuff back in the day. Um, and, you know, I would try to talk people into buying cash flow to offset and it, it would just win in one ear and out the other ear. The fundamentals that you guys have been taught how to buy properties with cash flow being the number one rule and it's an unbreakable rule will keep you from having those problems, right? Um, you know, 20, 25% down, that's, that's solid. You know, if you, if you could find some kind of a crazy loan, cause there are some out there that allow you to do 10% down. Um, I, I don't, I just don't think that's smart. A, you're going to have to pay mortgage insurance, which affects your cash flow. And B, you're putting less money down, which means you're going to have a higher payment, which also affects your cash flow. So yes, you can buy more properties, but they're not going to be covering themselves the same way. They're not going to be producing as much cash flow. And I think that's a train wreck waiting to happen. And, and I actually witnessed it uh, back in the, in the day. So um, not smart. I would, I would add to that, though, this Florida product that we're doing, um, I am doing as a second home loan, the 10% down because there's an equity spread will allow me to get PMI off, right? There will be the equity in there. That's the pain point. So yep. yeah, that is probably the only exception I've seen. Cause I agree to not have crazy. Yeah, that's, an, that's an, un, that's an unconventional mortgage, um, with an unconventional product. Yes. So just from a, from buying a rental property perspective, yes. 20 to 25% down, good to go. Yep. Agreed. Um, any other questions, you guys? Yeah, this seems to be a, 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 a an interesting topic online. So we wanted to make sure that um, we were um, we were covering this for you guys. Ron, maybe you could cover a little bit why hedge funds are buying property. Why? Because I've seen that be a concern. Like hedge funds are driving up our prices. That's yeah. That's so they're 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 buying about twenty percent of the of the inventory almost 20% of the inventory. And I think that will probably continue to climb. Um, and, and the reason is because they're, they see everything that we're seeing, right? That there's, these are, these are hard assets. They're backed by, by an actual physical asset. That asset produces income and it gives all of these other awesome benefits that the other assets that they've you know, notoriously in the past invested in um, don't. And you throw on onto that, you throw on the fact that we're in inc incredibly infl inflationary times. They want something that's going to track with, in with inflation. Um, and um, unfortunately, the, the stock market doesn't do that. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, they've, they've figured out what a lot of us have been preaching for a long, long time. Is it unfortunate? they're coming in and buying up a ton of inventory sure but has it really made a humongous difference in any of the markets mm. you you could make an argument that the that the uh some of the supply and demand in certain areas is, is made up uh, because they're taking 20 percent off the market but then i would make the counter argument that well we still don't have enough properties for people to rent yeah so they're taking 20 percent off and they're renting them to people um and they still have rental demand. So we we still have a supply and demand problem, both mm -hmm. in the rental market and in the homeownership market, 
And um, so I, I just, I don't, long term, could it have an effect? I guess it could. Um, but right now, no, because we haven't built enough homes for the last decade. Uh, and Heather, I, goodness, I was preaching this back in, in presentations in 2014, 15, and 16. That we're not building enough houses. We have a shortage of houses. And you guys have to understand that back in uh, 2007, um, right before the crash, 2006 and 2007, there were certain areas of the country that were overbuilding. Not the whole country. Certain areas of the country were overbuilding, right? And um, the rest of the country took it in the shorts the same way that those, those specific areas did. Mm -hmm. And they, did, they couldn't build any houses either. And it wasn't like there wasn't demand in those areas. And then we continued to not build houses for like five to six years. Yeah. And then when we started building the houses back, we did it at, a, at such a low rate that we, A, we didn't catch up, and B, we still didn't even meet the needs on the years that we were building them. And we've done that now for over a decade. Yeah. So it's no wonder that we don't have enough houses. Shocker. Yeah. And I mean, the slide that you would show and you would take out those few markets that were crazy high and, and how the dramatic um, drop in pricing in that area, if we took out certain pockets of Florida and California, the average across the country wasn't that bad. It was it really just wasn't. that it was tanked by a few outliers. Yeah. So. It, it was so, it was, it was under what we were just saying, what was um, not over leveraged, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it didn't reach the level of the leverage that yes. all of you were buying with. Um, yes. The only areas that did were the ones that didn't cash flow anyway, mm -hmm. and you shouldn't have been buying there, right? Those are the people who lost everything. They're the ones who bought speculative properties. Um, and I see people doing that right now in the Airbnb market. They're buying way overpriced properties because the numbers currently work for Airbnb. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that's a mistake. I may be wrong, yeah. but I think that's a mistake. Um, a couple of takeaways, I would say, Jared, from, and we can do a podcast on it, like you're suggesting, but mm -hmm. about the housing collapse. Um, one takeaway I had, because I was working with Ron at the time um, as a newbie for sure, but, <laughs> but is I couldn't buy. I had money and I could not buy that it was so hard to qualify for financing. And then they took the number of conventional loans per person down to four, right, Ron? Isn't it four? Yep. And so if you had four not loans. Like, not like four and then you got like hit and you and you could go up from there. Like four, hard stop. It. Yep, you had to pay cash. That was it. So being smart and strategic with loan positions, um, making sure that, you know, for myself, I have my husband, myself, my husband, myself, my husband on our rental properties on the mortgages. It's not both of us because it uses up a mortgage for each of us. So I only have, I think, two or three mortgages in my name, even though we're up to 13 doors. So that is one one way to help. And you can get a loan right now. You can wrap a bunch of properties into one commercial loan and then free up those conventional mortgage spots too. So. Yeah, I think one of the other really big things that I learned that I think that um, gets glossed over, um, you know, quite a bit is that both the stock market and the real estate market, they both crashed, right? The stock market crashed 
within months, less than a year. It, it hit bottom. Like it was, yeah. you know, it was at the bottom. The real estate market took five years to hit the bottom. It just kept going down. I mean, it was remarkable, actually. Now, I think that a lot of that was exacerbated by the government and what they did. Um, but uh, because, again, if you, if you can't get loans, nobody's going to buy the properties, nobody buys yeah. the properties, yada, yada, right? So that, that all got exacerbated by the government. But those five years, everybody loves to call the bottom. Everybody likes to buy at the bottom. <laughs> but during those five years, if you actually waited for the bottom, you lost so much money. Yes. Because there were, there were great deals every single one of those years as the properties continue to lose value. So we started buying in 2000, late 2009, early 2010, and the market kept falling. And I wish I had every one of those houses I bought in 2010. Um, so waiting for the, waiting for the bottom, trying to time the market, um, all of that is a fool's errand. The, the most important thing to do is to buy for buy for long term. Make sure your property's cash flow. Make sure you're not over leveraged, right? And then just let the four returns work. Just let them work. The big difference between the stock market, which you actually do kind of have the time, right? Because if you if you have money, the difference between real estate and the stock market, really quick, is this: stock market's at a high right now. When it falls, there, there isn't any other return you get that's going to compensate for the fact that you just yeah. lost 50%. You just lost it. It's gone. Now, if you sell and pull your money out, you've locked in the losses. Okay. But if you keep your money in the stock market, you still have to go up 100% to break even. Mm -hmm. And that takes a long time, people. Generally, like seven to 10 years it takes for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay, you've lost all that time. Real estate, it's different. So it took us five years to hit the bottom. During that five years, the difference is you were having a cash on cash return. You had somebody paying off your mortgage and you still got tax benefits. Those three returns continue to work during all five years. Yes. And during the next five years that it took for the real estate market to come back up to even. So both markets took a long time to recover, but only one of those markets gave you ridiculous returns during that time. And way faster than waiting hundred for a hundred percent, just to break even hundred yep. percent rate of return. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, if you could call the markets, if you could time the markets and you could pull your money out of the stock market at the, at the top and then put it safely into real estate, that would be a win. Yeah. Right. Because, you're going to get paid the whole time, even if the real estate market goes down. So anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. Preach. Now. That was so good. Mm -hmm. um, so hedge funds, Michelle's asking, um, what, what would stop them from buying? Like what would stop them from continuing to buy, I should say. And when do they sell? How would that affect the market? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it remains to be seen. I mean, could they affect the market if they own 20% of the market and they and, and they all decide together to put them all on the market at the same time? Sure, they could. 
Yeah. yeah I just don't know why they would want to. to um, you know, so, I mean, if you think about it, you have to think about it from both angles, right? You have to think about it from a rental angle. You have to think about it from a retail sale angle. So let's say they dumped them on the market right now and our, in, our, our inventory increased by the 20% that they all, that they own. A, they couldn't do that because they have tenants in them right now. But let's just say they were all vacant and they decided to just put them all on the market all at the same time. Well, when they take those all off the market, I guess it could have an effect on prices. But if we're all smart, we'll buy them and rent them to the people that they just kicked out of their houses. Because you can't you can't displace 20% of the market. They don't have anywhere to go. Mm. You know, so... Those people generally rent for one of two reasons. Either they like to rent and they don't want to own, or they can't own. One of the two reasons. In either case, they're not going to go buy the retail houses that they're putting on the market, which means they're going to rent from someone. So um, I don't know. I just don't see it being as disruptive a thing as, as everyone else does. Um, the one negative that I do see of, of hedge funds controlling so much real estate is that they will control pricing um, of, of the rental properties, you know, which, which, you know, that could be, that could be a problem. Yeah. Um, in a, in a lot of different scenarios, it could be a problem. Um, but the good news is that they're, they're generally speaking, pretty, um, pretty self-absorbed. So they like to make money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, and flooding the market, giving that many rentals on the market at the same time, it's harder to get top dollar for your properties. So that wouldn't make much sense for them to do that either. Um, yeah. And, and I've seen there. their models, guys. Somebody is saying uh, in Sacramento, they still haven't sold. I know they're, they're really not selling very many. Um, and their only thing that I can see that they're doing is they're cleaning their, their inventory. They're selling the dogs and they're keeping all the rest of them. Um, and then they're reloading. Um, I've seen their business model. Their business model is not a short-term pump. It's just, they're not just going to like dump them onto the market. This is a long-term play for them. And the model only works the way that they're doing it. If there's appreciation, it does, it literally will not work if there's not appreciation. So they're making a huge long-term bet that real estate is going to continue to go up, which it has proven to do for decades and decades and decades and decades and decades. Right. So I don't think they're going to do that. Yeah, I do. I do have kind of an issue with, you know, big corporations controlling, you know, housing just from a, you know, free market type of, just from a free market perspective, having that much control over housing. I mean, they already control food, right? Um, so that part of it is kind of, you know, icky to me, but, um, as investors, I don't, I just don't see the disruption. I just, I don't. So we have a good question from Jimmy. He says, in order to free up my 10 mortgages, would a second mortgage on a paid off property or commercial loan be better? I mean, with inflation. Yeah, go ahead. It's a really solid, um, individualized question that we should answer and like get on a call and answer with you. Um, because it, it, cause the, the, the right answer is it depends. And, you know, rather than get into all of your finances right here on Facebook live <laughs> and, on, and on a podcast, we should probably get on a call, but, um, there's definitely a way to, um, to free up capital yeah. in some way for sure. 
Yeah. All right, everybody. With, with inflation, mortgages are nice to have. That's all I was going to say. Yeah, for sure. I mean, locking in locking in 30-year money right now, in my opinion, is a no-brainer. Yeah. No-brainer. Even, I mean, I never... <laughs> That's another thing. Just really quick, everybody's like everybody gets all uh, bent out of shape because the rates go up from three seven five to four and a quarter, and from four and a quarter to four and a half. Ah, we are so spoiled. Do you have any idea how low four and a half is? It was two years ago. I locked in what I thought was the lowest rate possible on an apartment complex <laughs> at four point. 4.59%. And I thought I hit the lottery. <laughs> so it's so fast. We lose, we completely lose sight of what's actually happening and what's happened. Rates are so freaking low right now. Mm-hmm. Would you consider using HELOC? Yes, I would consider using HELOC. As a matter of fact, I do use HELOCs. She's yeah. saying, would you consider that over leveraging though? No, not necessarily because it's a, because you could put a mortgage on that property and cash flow that property, or if it's one you're living in, you could make the payment on it. I use, so if I have a paid off house and I put a HELOC on it, I use that HELOC as cash because I paid the house off with cash. I just have access to it, in other words. So, yeah. And yeah. Michelle, I'll, I would add that you're also, you still have equity in the home you have that equity line on. You still have equity in that house. So it's really, not dipping into too much equity in your property. So you, while you're 100% leveraging the replacement property, you have income coming in from it. So it's really that you have equity in that initial house you're taking HELOC out on as well. So good questions. I'm digging this. We should do this more Great often. Great questions. Really, the only reason we don't do this more often is because y'all don't tell us what you want to hear. Yeah. So once you just get on the group, start typing in there what y'all want to hear, and we'll jump on here and we'll do lives with you guys. It'll be great. And yeah. we really appreciate it. We've been on for a little while. So we're going to jump off. And for everybody who's been listening on the podcast, we say something, guys, those of you in the Facebook group, we say something every single week on the podcast. And I think it's apropos for everyone, no matter what you're trying to accomplish. And that is get out there and make something happen. So this week, whatever it is that you think you should be doing, mm-hmm. just actually get out there and make it happen. All right. Amen. Until next time, people. Thank you. This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to GetRealEstateSuccess.com.